0: We talk about the sampleization and bank and I deal with Bitcoin, Litecoin, my coin, your coin, blockchain, baby, Mondays at 700 hours Eastern Studio A
1: understanding must arise during these times of unparalleled deceit, a view in depths of society upon which this country has fallen, a storm <laughs> upon the horizon. It's been said that those that have the eyes to see and the ears to hear will play a paramount role in the furthering of humanity and civilized society. But can civilized society and humanity survive the coming conflicts, not seen since a dawn of time in ages by past? But you can find true forms of information and knowledge in abundance at Revolution Radio, FreedomSleps.com. The number one listener-supported radio station on the globe. Stand upon the right side of history.
3: okay i think we're ready (laughs) welcome to free association uh i've changed what i'm going to do in the last two minutes uh because there's a conversation going on about elvis costello in the chat room so i'm going to talk about elvis costello first of all my name's dennis by the way and you're listening to free association on revolution radio which is uh, a listener supported and volunteer run Set of two studios, Studio A and Studio B. So Elvis Costello. So I was I was going to do geopolitics. I was going going to place. I'm still going to I'm still going to do the geopolitics, but I'm just going to ramble on for a bit first, which means the the timing might be off, but uh, it is where it is, and it's my show, so I can do it the way I want to do it. And Elvis Costello, was talking about so. Uh, The first time that I went to the Glastonbury Festival, which is when I was, I'm 58 years old now, believe it or not. The first time I went to the Glastonbury Festival, I was 18. So, was that 40 years ago? Mid-80s? So, I was still at school, basically. Uh, I was just about to finish A-levels. Uh, Managed to persuade one of my friends to drive his mother's old um, Astra down to Glastonbury, 350 miles. So there was five of us went down in this big old Astra. There was a a, a tank, basically, (laughs) which is just as well because it rained the entire time we were there. So the the headline acts were, on that particular occasion, was The Cure. The Cure must have been Friday night. Elvis Costello was Saturday night. I think Sinead O'Connor was the highlight on Sunday, or Van Morrison, one of those people. Oh thanks for the sound check, popsicle tours. Um at least I know if everything's working for your end means I don't have to go checking things, which means my flow's a bit better, that's all I, I really need that for. I don't like to break my flow with technical stuff. Now that I've got it working properly, I don't want it to mess about. If I do it live it'll mess it'll mess things up. So back back to me being eighteen and we're we're in this car. There's only two I think there was two people could drive out of the five of us. And we had tents. And uh, we managed to get parked up. It took ages to get in Glastonbury as well. It's, if you, I, I don't know if anybody's ever been, and most of you are in the States, but uh, Glastonbury Festival is a place called uh, Pilton, which is a. Like the Vale of Glastonbury, it's not Glastonbury itself. It's about 10 miles away, 7 or 8 miles away, something like that. So it's up and down all this undulating hillside. Which if there's five of you, plus a tent, plus two two days, two two days, or three days worth of food, plus camping gear, plus all the extra stuff you need to carry, like beer, when you're 18, <laughs> there was a lot of beer involved. Uh, it takes a it takes a while to get up and down hills with that level of weight in a car, so we were struggling to get up the hills. Uh, we managed to do it. Honestly, this brings back so many memories. And uh, we got there. Uh, it was like the Battle of the Somme. It really was like the Battle of the Somme. It was uh, mud up to your knees. So everybody had to buy wellies. We all had waterproofs, but we didn't have wellies because uh, we weren't quite expecting the Battle of the Somme. But it was interesting. It was fun. Actually, we got there on a Thursday. And uh, you look you look back at these things, and there was a band called Voice of the Beehive that I'd never heard of. Who were the warm up, one of the warm up acts on the Thursday night? They weren't even billed on the festival, I don't think, or they might have been billed, but but later on in the day on one of the minor stages. Absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Two female vocalists. Just a very, very good, clean sound. So there was that, Crazy Head were on. Who else were on? I think the Cocktoaw Twins were on as well, somewhere down the line. might not have been Thursday, but uh, Steve Harley, those Cockney Rebel, those loads of people. uh, I'm thinking back. I know Van Morrison was on because I was screaming at him, screaming abuse at him for being an old bald hippie. (laughs) <laughs> being an 18 year old I was not happy about old bald hippies at the time I'm much happier about Van Morrison now than I was when I was 18 uh, honestly I would if, if I'd been 58 when I was 18 I would have appreciated all of that old stuff but I, I just didn't I was into my rock and a little bit of blues. Oh, Taj Mahal was on. He's a good man. He was he was uh on the Sunday I remember that. I was, off of my head. That first year of the went. And obviously we did it again and again and again. I I think I went eleven times out of thirteen years. And the only reason I didn't go was because the festival wasn't on pretty much it was the battle of the sum as well and by the time I got to 32 or 33 I'd had, it, had enough of the mud so with the greatest of respect to the people who love the mud by the time you get to 33 34 35 you really don't want to do it it's a very different mindset to when you're 18 you don't care when you're 18 <laughs> so anyway that's that's my Glastonbury experience so elvis costello at the royal albert hall was much later on and i went to that one with with a woman that i worked with when i was at reuters which is back in the 90s and she had a she had an extra ticket so i I volunteered to take it off we were right up in the gods so we were miles away but the the acoustics in the Royal Albert Hall are just phenomenal. So Elvis Costello playing guitar and Steve Naive on, on a piano, I think, or just some kind of keyboard in the corner. And that was it. No band, just, just the two of them doing an acoustic set, basically. Two, two hours, solid material. Solid, good songwriting material. You can't ask for the, the better than that, really. In in a place with good, you can't ask for more than that. It was tremendous. So that was that was uh, my Elvis Costello conversation. So what I'm going to do is play play some Kim Iverson from last night. I'm going, I haven't set it up yet. Because I'm doing everything in a different order now to what I was going to do, but it's kind of there. Give me a couple of seconds to set this up. This is quite heavy, so we need something. We needed something lighter to set it off, really. So let's let's just get this working, and then uh, we'll see how we go from there. So Kim Iverson does a show on Rumble Monday to Friday. Which I quite like. She's got a good approach to to news reporting, and she's very she's very thorough in the way she does things. You may or may not like her politics, but I quite like the way she does things because she's thorough and she goes into detail about stuff. And uh, if I remember rightly, the first ten minutes we don't need to play of this. So I'm going to skip through the first 10 minutes. See if we can get it on there. The Israel Palestine thing. Right. I should have set this up beforehand, but I'm uh, I'm being lazy today. This is the main-
4: Palestinian armed groups. No no armed attack on a state's territory, no matter how serious, even an attack involving atrocity atrocity against Israel. Israel is planning on themselves and they are planning on a kind of like, yeah, he did it, but we can't remove him. And then they and then it went to the upper court and the upper court said, well, actually, he is an officer of the state. So I guess you have to remove him. So it wasn't, you know, it's was, it was still they were still in politics. It's not good. Clearly, we've got a problem in the court system. Clearly, we have a problem with the secretary of state of Maine. And there's plenty of other states that are continuing to pursue this avenue of trying to get Trump removed from the ballot rather than just running a better campaign as Democrats. If you are worried about losing the election, run a better campaign, have better policies. Pick a better candidate. That's what you could do. Don't remove your opponent from the race. We've turned into a banana republic effectively. Let's move on to Israel. So South Africa has charged Israel with genocide in the ICJ, which is the International Criminal Court. Uh, Israel is apparently furious about these charges that South Africa has uh, has levied against them. There are 84 pages. I'm going to go through... Quite a bit of this document, I know a lot of people have been reporting on it, but you haven't really gotten many many deep dives into the actual charges that South Africa is bringing forward against Israel. Israel is planning on uh, representing themselves in court. They're planning on showing up and defending themselves, but they're going to have a difficult time. These 84 pages in this document that South Africa put out there is very detailed. Um, They go through not only what... Israel is currently doing to the Palestinians, but the history of what Israel's been doing to the Palestinians, many of the comments that are being made by leadership in Israel that is highly genocidal um, and and just the dire situation for the Palestinians in Israel. This document is very damning. Uh, I think that anybody should read it. Everybody should read this document. It is 84 pages, but it's 84 pages of shock. As you read it, you'll read it very quickly because it is uh, it is such a shocking document. It's not a dry read. It's 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 uh they've packed this full of information. And in particular, people, people who should read this are people who don't believe Israel's doing anything wrong. People who believe that Israel has the right to defend themselves, that this is the only way. Those are the people who really need to the, to read this. I'm just not sure that they actually will. But let's go over. Uh, quite a bit of this document. Of course, I'm not going to read you the 84 pages, but we're going to go over quite a bit of it. All right. So they start off and they say this application concerns acts threatened, adopted, condoned, taken and being taken by the government and military of the state of Israel against the Palestinian people, a distinct national, racial and ethical group in the wake of the attacks of Israel on the 7th of October, 2023. South Africa unequivocally condemns all violations of international laws by all... Does take a no matter how serious involving atrocity can, however, put any possible justification for or defense to of the 1948 Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide, whether as a matter of law or morality. So they're saying right there to Israel, look, uh, what happened to you was bad, and Even though the attack involved atrocities against the Israeli civilian people, it doesn't then give you the right to commit a genocide. So somebody did something really horrible to you, but you don't get to turn around and wipe out an entire nation of people and severely debilitate their ability to be a nation. And that is really when you look at the actual definition of genocide in those 1948 conventions, it is targeting a group of people based on their ethnicity or their nationality or their religion. You're going after the group for who they are. And when it comes to the Palestinian people, this is a, a nation, a group of people who aspire to have an of their own. And the act of genocide against them would be any group that is debilitating their ability or to, or to continue their nation. They have a nation. They clearly we have a nation, whether or not it's a recognized nation by a government that we're going to recognize, right? We don't recognize a lot of governments around the world. It doesn't mean that a nation of people doesn't exist there. People exist whether we label them a nation or not. And that is when people get into the debate of, well, there never was a Palestine. Well, okay, you might not think that there was, by modern definitions, a big government with bureaucracy. For the nation of Palestine, it was other bureaucracies like the Ottoman Empire, or the British Empire, but there was still a nation of people there. Whether you want to put that nation of people under Ottoman rule or British rule or hell, put them under Chinese rule, whatever rule you want to put those people under, there's still a nation there. And that nation is in existence. It's, it's a crime of genocide. And that is what South Africa is claiming that the Israelis are doing. Um, So they go on to say, since October 7th, Israel has engaged in a large-scale military assault by land, air, and sea on the Gaza Strip, a narrow strip of land approximately of 365 square kilometers, one of the most densely populated places in the world. Gaza, home to approximately 2.3 million people, almost half of them children, has been subjected by Israel to what has been described as one of the Heaviest conventional bombing campaigns in the history of modern warfare. By 29th of October alone, it was estimated that 6,000 bombs per week had been dropped on the tiny enclave. In just over two months, Israel's military attacks had wreaked more destruction than the raising of Syria's Aleppo between 2012 and 2016, Ukraine's Mariupol, or proportionately the allied bombing of Germany in World War II. So it's worse than the Allied bombing in Germany in World War II. The destruction wrought by Israel is so extreme that Gaza is now a different color from space. It's a different texture, so the entire area looks completely different from space. Um, since the October, uh, since the seventh of October, October seventh, Israel has engaged in oh, Sorry here let me uh get to my next my next point here on this big document 84 pages long but so since the letter since this letter was written the numbers have risen even more starkly at least 21,110 Palestinians in Gaza have been killed and over 55,243 Palestinians have been wounded many severely The death toll includes over 7,729 children, not including the 4,700 women and children still missing and presumed dead under the rubble. Could you imagine dying under rubble? That is the worst way to die. The people who die in the blasts are lucky. Those are the lucky ones. The ones buried under rubble, they die slow. Entire multi generational families have been wiped out completely. Over 355,000 homes, equivalent to more than 60% of Gaza's housing stock in uh, in Gaza, has been damaged or destroyed. 1.9 million Palestinians, approximately 85% of the total population, have been internally displaced. Many fled the north of the territory to the south, having been ordered to do so by Israel, only to be bombed again in the south and told to flee once again further south or southwest, reduced to living in makeshift tents in camps with no water, sanitation, or other facilities. Israel has bombed, shelled, and besieged Gaza's hospitals with only 13 out of 36 hospitals partially functional and no fully functioning hospitals left in northern Gaza. Gaza's healthcare system has all but collapsed with reports of operations, including amputations and cesarean sections, taking place without anesthetic. A significant portion of the wounded and sick are unable to access uh, any or adequate care. Contagious and epidemic diseases are rife amongst the displaced Palestinian population, with experts warning of the risk of meningitis, uh, cholera, cholera, and other outbreaks. The entire population in Gaza is at imminent risk of famine, whereas the proportion of households affected by acute food insecurity is the largest ever recorded according to the Integrated Food Security Phase Classification. Experts warn that silent, slow deaths caused by hunger and thirst risk surpassing those violent deaths already caused by Israeli bombs and missiles. Um, goes on to say, in Gaza, the apparent strategy of Israel is the indefinite warehousing of an unwanted population uh, of 2 million Palestinians to a narrow strip of land through its comprehensive 15-year-old air, land, and sea blockade. So again, in Gaza, the the apparent that's exactly right. They are clearly not wanted there. They want them to leave. They've been outright saying they want to want them to go but the way they've treated them over the the last decades has been very especially Gaza over the last 15 years has been uh, nearly 20 years has been clearly to make their lives miserable and to let them know that they're completely unwanted they're an unwanted neighbor and israel's doing everything they can to make their lives so miserable that they move but move where so, the World Bank reported in two thousand and twenty one that Gaza had undergone a multi decade process of de development and de industrialization resulting in a forty five percent unemployment rate and a sixty percent poverty rate with eighty percent of the population dependent on some form of international assistance in significant part because of the hermetic sealing of the access of Gaza to the outside world, the coastal aquifer, the sole source of natural natu- uh, natural drinking water in Gaza. Has become polluted and unfit for human consumption because of contain- containment by seawater and sewage, substantially driving up water costs for an already destitute population. Gaza has heavily
3: All right, it's one of those technology nights, for me at least. So I reset my laptop about two hours ago, and I'm managing to get half an hour of connectivity, and then it drops out. So we're going to have to make the best of this. Uh, I did spot that before the server dropped out, so hopefully we haven't lost too much, and I can just go back and play the, the rest of the clip that i was playing let me set that up again i have to reshare everything i'll tell you what i'm gonna have to do this from from here there we go reshare don't you just love technology one of those things that just keeps me coming back and back and back to skype but i am piggybacking on a free wi-fi hotspot so i can't complain too much let's uh let's see what we
4: wars that israel has waged on gaza but now they're talking about the peaceful protests that the palestinians have attempted a further 214 palestinians including 46 children were killed during the great march of return a large-scale peaceful protest along the separation fence between Gaza and Israel in which thousands of Palestinians participated every Friday for over 18 months, demanding that the blockade imposed on Gaza be lifted and the return of Palestinian refugees to their homes and villages in Israel. On one particularly lethal day alone, Israel killed 60 Palestinian protesters, as determined by the Independent Commission of Inquiry on the Protests in the Occupied Palestinian Territory. During these weekly demonstrations, the Israeli security forces killed and gravely injured civilians who were neither participating directly in hostilities nor posing an imminent threat to life. Among those shot were children, paramedics, journalists, and persons with disabilities. Those killed by...
3: Oh, did that just drop out? I don't know. We'll find out. now I tell you what it's uh, it's moved me on something else completely different now rumble started moving videos onto the next one and without without asking i'm sure there's probably a setting somewhere that uh, that I can untick a box on or something but uh, Right now, I don't know where I was on this video. Uh, You're starting.
4: ...were children, paramedics, journalists, and persons with disabilities. Those killed by Israeli soldiers firing from behind the separation fence included three medics and two journalists. A total of over 36,100 Palestinians, including 8,800 children, were injured by Israel, including 4,903 people who were shot in the lower limbs, many while standing hundreds of meters away from the snipers unarmed. 156 of them had to have at least one limb amputated, and over 1,200 required specialized limb reconstruction.
3: Right, Skype just dropped out, I think, again. Let's stop it. All right, I'm going to give it one more try. And then if I can't get everything working properly by the top of the hour, I'm going to just give it up as an hour show, I think. I was hoping this one would be okay. I'm going to have to find somewhere to do the show from on a Wednesday night because this Wi-Fi is not stable enough and the connection's not strong enough for, for Skype, I don't think. So I could go up to the... The Five Swans, which is a, a bar at the far end of town, that'll be quiet enough on a Wednesday, and they've got good solid Wi-Fi up there. Uh, there's no background music, so I can just do I can, I can just do a, a basic functional pl- video playing kind of show from there. But in the meantime, I'm going to give this another try. Right, right let's share screen again it's very repetitive this i can hear, I can hear crickets as well which i know is coming from Sky. all right this is the rumble tab so let's try this again all right, that doesn't look like it's screen sharing. Let's try the screen share again. All right, I know this has turned into a bit of a dog's breakfast, but I want to try and get this half an hour of Kim Iverson at least On record as part of the show, because I think she did a really good job. There we go.
4: They were clearly marked as such. It further found reasonable grounds to believe that Israeli snipers shot disabled demonstrators intentionally, despite seeing that they had visible disabilities and despite them not presenting an imminent threat. And when I went to the West Bank, I was there during this time where the great march of return was going on. And I actually met with a couple of doctors. They just happened to be sitting in the hotel lobby of the hotel that I was staying in, and we were talking about uh you know, just talking to each other and I was asking them what they were in the West Bank doing and they said that they had just come back from Gaza, that they were there operating on these children who had been shot during the Friday night protests, these peaceful protests that these children were and teenagers and young adults were Uh, were engaging in and these doctors described to me they were from the east coast uh through i think sort of like a doctors without borders i mean a christian organization and they described that these kids were when they were there they witnessed these kids being intentionally shot their eyes being shot out or their knees being shot out and it they weren't being they were using particular types of bullets to shoot their eyes out knowing it wouldn't kill them but it would just take an eye uh, they would shoot regular ammunition to shoot out their knees. Uh, and these doctors were were working on these children in the hospitals. They then wanted to show me photographs of what they were saying. Would you like to see photos? And I said, yeah, I would like to see these pictures. And they opened up their laptops and they started looking for the photographs. And then they realized that the IDF took their laptops when they left Gaza and they had confiscated their laptops for a couple of hours and they had deleted all of the photographs. They deleted the evidence. They didn't want anybody to see. They didn't want the world to see what was going on. Another friend of mine, I know these are anecdotal stories, but I just wanted to share them with you. But another friend of mine who was very much a Zionist went over there with an organization. uh, He's an engineer and went with, with an organization to set up water facilities in the West Bank to Um, He worked with this organization for several years working to do the measurements and scout the locations and build the infrastructure. And he said, ultimately, they gave up on the projects. They were Americans working on these. They gave up on the projects because, one, Israel took forever to give them any sort of permit, a permit that would take a settlement in the West, an illegal settlement in the West Bank, would get the permit within days or a week or two. It would take these organizations months, if not years, to receive those same permits. And when they finally got the permits and they sent the engineers out to do the to do the uh, uh, surveying of the land and take the measurements, they were shot at by the IDF. They ultimately had to shut down the operation because they were shot at when they were trying to just build water, water systems. So this is what people are living with there. It's a completely unjust and unfair situation that has been uh, developed to make their lives miserable. Um, goes on to say... Um, in Gaza, the apparent strategy of Israel is the indefinite warehousing of an unwanted population. Okay, we already said that here. Sorry, it makes me lose my place every time I go forward on this. me just keep... Uh, okay, let me just keep... Sc- I'll just scroll rather than click on my notes so that we can... It's just a lot of pages. I was just hoping to... Here we go. The Oslo Accord. So it goes on to talk about some of the history of, of the region and the history of the West Bank and and the the, the attempts at peace agreements between Israel and Palestine. They really, they really put out a case to show that Palestine was always given an unfair, unjust deal. It was never a good deal for the Palestinians. So when there's these ideas that they've rejected all of these really great deals – the deals were always really bad. For example, the Oslo Accords divided administrative competences over three areas of the West Bank. So the West Bank is divided up into three areas, A, B, and C. It's not the whole West Bank is for the Palestinians. That's how it should be, right, because that's that's what the Palestinians want. They want that nation. That's what the U.N. said this is their land. Uh, and the Israelis kept building settlements on that land. They kept moving in anyway, and they just started popping up little uh, villages, all the way to cities with with tens of thousands of people living in them. Some of the biggest cities in the West Bank, Israeli settlements, are 100,000 people living in them. They're full-on cities. So the Oslo Accords uh, was trying to figure this out, and they decided, okay, we're going to divide up the West Bank. It's already a partition. Already the Palestinians are getting a very small amount of land. It was previously land they could travel throughout all of what is now Israel, all of Gaza, all the West Bank. They were able to travel freely before The Zionist movement started and the partition plan of 1947-1948. And so then um, they're now relegated to this little tiny area in the West Bank and in Gaza. And the Oslo Accords further made this smaller by dividing up the West Bank into areas A, B, and C, which is like Swiss cheese throughout the entire area. It's not like A is over here, B is over here, and C is over here. It's just like a Swiss cheese map. So the Oslo Accords divided administrative competences over three areas of the West Bank, A, B, and C, not including East Jerusalem, between the Palestinian Authority and Israel. The occupying power, the, Israel, the occupying power, is what South Africa is saying in this. Area A, comprised 18% of the West Bank, is to be under the full administ- Palestinian Authority. So listen, they received 18% of the West Bank, the West Bank, which is supposed to be theirs. They have full control over only 18% of the West Bank. Area B is 22% of the West Bank, and that is under joint control of the Palestinian Authority and Israel. They, they are patrolling, both of them patrol those regions. And Area C, which is 60% of the West Bank, the vast majority of the West Bank, is under full Israeli administrative and security control. So they've essentially annexed this land, and they've given liberations to the Palestinians. A whole 18% of the West Bank is under Palestinian control, and yet they're blamed for the conditions of the West Bank when they're not even in control of the West Bank. Um, And they end up giving people in the West Bank, uh, the Israeli settlements, a lot of resources and water and electricity, and they give hardly anything to the Palestinian people. So the institutionalized regime of discriminatory laws policies and practices applied by Israel subjects Palestinians to what constitutes an apartheid regime. So in the West Bank in particular. And when people talk about apartheid, a lot of times you get the, the, the response from people who are really you know, supportive of Israel will say, not true. There's 2 million Arabs living inside of Israel. It's clearly not apartheid. It's totally fine. Palestinians have the West Bank. Israel has Israel. And inside of Israel, there's 2 million Palestinian Israelis. But when you look at the West Bank, which only has 18 percent of the control under the Palestinians and the rest of it, 22 percent under Israel and Palestinian combined and 60 percent under Israel control, the West Bank is obviously practicing an apartheid. They have separate roads for the Palestinians and separate roads inside the West Bank for Israelis only to drive on. So it goes on to say that this um, this apartheid regime, South Africa knows something about that. Palestinians in the West Bank are contained behind a segregating wall subjected to discriminatory land zoning and planning policies, punitive and administrative housing demolitions, violent Israeli army incursions into Palestinian villages, towns, cities and refugee camps, including in Area A, routine violent Israeli raids on their homes, arbitrary arrests and indefinitely renewable administrative detention, which is internment without trial. They round up Palestinians and they keep them without trial because it's. They're under military rule. The rest of the Israelis are under regular laws, regular courts. But the Palestinians are under military occupation rule, which is no rule at all. And they change the laws anytime they want. They have a dual legal system pursuant to which Palestinians are tried under Israeli military legislation in Israeli military courts without basic protections of international humanitarian and human rights law, while Israeli settlers living in the same territory are subject to a different legal regime. Ah, still getting over my cult. And uh, tried in Israel. So they're, the Israeli settlers are living in the same territory and are subject to a different legal regime and tried in Israeli civilian courts with full due process. Palestinians in the West Bank are also subjected to routine violence by Israeli soldiers and armed settlers. And by the way, the IDF oftentimes guards the settlers while they're doing it. And they're never held to account, very, very rarely held to account for committing violent crime against the Palestinian people. Meanwhile, if a Palestinian even looks at an IDF soldier the wrong way, they end up arrested, detained. Um, oftentimes they're detained for a couple of days just to try to scare them or sometimes longer than that if they happen to to engage in violence. So if Palestinians engage in violence, they get a very, very harsh sentence, oftentimes death right there on the spot by a soldier. And when a settler engages in violence against the Palestinians, they're often protected by the IDF. The system is so unjust. That is what's really upset the Palestinians. Probably more than anything is just the lack of real justice on their behalf. Um, Now, the genocidal acts committed against the Palestinian people. So that's kind of their background. They haven't even gotten to the genocidal acts yet. It's a humanitarian veterans who've served in war zones and disasters around the world. People who've seen everything say they have seen nothing like what they see today in Gaza. So imagine that. People who have seen it all, who've been to war zones and disasters, say that there is nothing like what they're seeing in Gaza. It on to say, nowhere is safe in Gaza. As the United Nations Secretary General and many other United Nations experts have now made clear to the international community, Palestinians in Gaza have been killed in their homes in places where they sought shelter in hospitals, and UNWRA schools, in churches, in mosques, and as they tried to find food and water for their families. They've been killed if they failed to evacuate, in places which they fled, and even while they attempted to flee along Israeli-declared safe zones. Reports are multiplying of Israeli soldiers performing summary executions, including of multiple family members of the same family, men, women, and older people, one such account is the reported execution in Gaza City of at least 11 male members of the Annan family and their relatives, boys and men, said to have been separated out by Israeli soldiers and shot in front of their family before the women and children were then attacked. There are also reports of unarmed people, including Israeli hostages, being shot dead on site despite posing no threat, including while waving white flags. That right there was the biggest damning moment for Israel that you had uh, Israeli hostages screaming help in Hebrew, shirtless, so no bombs, waving white flags, and they're still being shot dead because the IDF clearly has the the ethos of shoot everything that moves. It says Israel is said to be dumping dumb bombs in Gaza as well as heavy bombs weighing up to 2,000 pounds, An estimated 1,779 Palestinian families in Gaza have lost multiple family members and hundreds of multi-generational families have been killed in their entirety with no remaining survivors. Mothers, fathers, children, siblings, grandparents, aunts, cousins, often all killed together. By 7th of November, 312 Palestinian families in Gaza had lost over 10 members each numerous palestinian families have lost upwards of 70 members each the level of mortality in palestinian families is such that medics in gaza have had to coin a new acronym wcnsf so they'll write that down on a chart wcnsf meaning wounded child no surviving family absolutely atrocious doctors journalists teachers academics and other professionals Are also being killed at wholly unprecedented rates. To date, Israel has killed over 311 doctors, nurses, and other health workers, including doctors and ambulance drivers killed on duty. 103 journalists, amounting to over one per day, and more than 73% of the total number of journalists and media workers killed globally in 2023. They killed nearly 75% of all the journalists killed in the world in 2023. It is estimated that over 1.9 million Palestinians out of Gaza's 2.3 million people, approximately 85% of the population, have been forced from their homes. Um, at least 570 Palestinians have been killed at hospitals and healthcare centers in Gaza, and a further 746 have been injured. They include patients and internally displaced Palestinians who vainly sought sanctuary in or near hospital grounds, killed by Israeli strikes or snipers. Other Palestinians have died as a direct result of Israel cutting off electricity and fuel to hospitals. They include five premature babies and 40 ICU and kidney patients at Al-Shaifa Hospital. Other Palestinians have died as a direct result of Israel's forced evacuation of hospitals, including at least four babies in al Nasser Hospital, whose tiny bodies were found weeks later during a temporary ceasefire, decomposing in their hospital beds. Hospital courtyards have been turned into sites of mass graves. Pregnant women and children, including newborn babies, are also particularly impacted by displacement, lack of access to food and water, shelter, clothes, hygiene and sanitation, and lack of access to health services. These effects are severe and significant. An estimated 5,500 of approximately 52,000 pregnant Palestinian women in Gaza giving birth each month are doing so in unsafe conditions. Premature births have reportedly increased by 25 to 30 percent as stressed and traumatized pregnant women face a myriad of challenges, including being compelled to walk long distances in search of safety, attempting to escape from bombs and being crowded into shelters in often squalid conditions. Now, these are the they go through for 10 pages expressions of genocidal intent against the Palestinian people by Israeli state officials and others. So they start off with Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, and he's made numerous statements, but just a couple of them that I'll read to you. He said, quote, a struggle between the children of light and the children of dust, between humanity and the law of the jungle. This is a battle not only of Israel against the barbarians, it's a battle of civilization against barbarism. You must remember what Amalek has done to you, says our holy Bible, and we do remember the prime minister referring again to Amalek in a, letter, in a letter sent on the 3rd of November to Israeli soldiers and officers, the relevant biblical passage reads as follows. Now go, attack Amalek and prescribe all that belongs to him. Spare no one, but kill alike men and women, infants and sucklings, oxen and sheep, camels and asses. He sent that letter to the Israeli soldiers and officers. Kill everything that moves is what he says. Now, the president of Israel, this is Isaac Herzog, made clear that Israel was not distinguishing between militants and civilians in Gaza, stating in a press conference to foreign media in relation to Palestinians in Gaza, over one million of whom are children. He said, quote, it's an entire nation and that uh, it's an entire nation out there that is responsible. It's not civilians, not aware, not involved. It's absolutely not true. And we will fight until we break their backbone. The Israeli president is one of many Israelis to have handwritten messages on bombs to be dropped on Gaza, it's saying that it's an entire nation. That is when it's genocide, when somebody says it's all of them. The whole nation is, is responsible. All of them must die. All of them must pay. The Israel minister of defense on October 9th said um, that in, in an Israeli army situation update, he advised that Israel was imposing a complete siege on Gaza. No electricity, no food, no water, no fuel. Everything is closed. We are fighting human animals, he says. He says Gaza won't return to what it was before. We will eliminate everything. If it doesn't take one day, it will take a week. It will take weeks or even months. We will reach all places. He further announced that Israel was moving to a failed response, and that he had removed every restriction on Israeli forces. To do everything
3: all right we're just coming up to the end of the first hour uh, my connection is a little bit better now we've had 15 minutes without any technical issues so that's a good a good start what I'll do is I'll just ramble a little bit at the beginning of the second hour and then see how I feel and see how the connection is and we'll we'll keep it going uh, I'm going to keep it light I think or as light as possible, because genocide's a heavy topic and we need to balance it out. Find a way to make something entertaining around the genocide or something entertaining around the idea of war crimes so we can talk about it without it being like a heart wrench. It's a horrible, horrible situation. And see Israel needs to be held to account for what they're doing. I'll see you in a couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. To being the...
5: are becoming more difficult as the life force of your world is draining away have you noticed that as everything around you seems to decline one thing still grows it is the power of your rulers none of their plans and directives have solved your problems or made your life better the only result has been their increased control over you You at the cost of your freedom do you know why you gave them the power They called for your sacrifice and you thought it was noble. They said if you worked for yourself and your family that you were selfish and uncaring and they made you feel ashamed. They denounced the leaders of industry as greedy exploiters. You agreed, all evil needs to win is the consent of good people. To everyone within the range of my voice, you now have a choice to make. If you decide to support the notion of sacrifice enforced by the state, your game is up. Your world is in a downward spiral, and you will write it down to destruction. But if you share the values, if you believe that your life is a sacred possession for you to make the most of, if you want to live by the judgment of your own mind, not edicts from the state, then follow our lead. Do not support your own oppressors. Stop letting the system exploit you. Form your own communities on the frontiers of your crumbling world. Your rulers hold you by your endurance to carry the burdens they impose. By your generosity when you hear cries of despair and above all, by your innocence which cannot grasp the depths of their evil. The world you are living in is the world they wanted. Leave them to it those who are to build a better world, a world of freedom and opportunity, a world based on, on mutual respect. In that world, you will not receive alms nor pity, nor forgiveness of sins, but honor, respect, and justice. Don't let the fire go out, spark by irreplaceable spark in confusion and despair. The world you desire can be one. It exists. It is real. It is possible. It is yours.
2: Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com, the number one listener supported radio station on the internet. It's your world. Take it. Thank you for listening to Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com, the number one listener supported radio station on the internet. Please help support this station so this battle can continue forward. Revolution Radio! Thank you for listening to Revolution Radio at FreedomSlips.com. Any commercial advertising you may hear in this program is of the sole discretion and benefit of the host of this program you are listening to. Revolution Radio does not endorse any commercial products, nor does it accept monetary compensation for on air advertising of commercial products, nor will it ever. We are and shall remain 100% listener supported. Any product advertising on this program are considered used at higher risk, and Revolution Radio shall not be Held liable for any claims or damages received from any product advertised within this program. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps.
3: All right, tonight's a bit of a ramble, but that's it's good sometimes to be to have a bit of personal stuff going into the show. Most of the time, I keep the personal kind of anecdotal stories out, but I was thinking this afternoon about a about a Saturday night when I was working at Reuters on the the Saturday late afternoon evening shift, and I was working on the switchboard. So not not exactly a high-status job. It was just a job, basically, but the, the wage was all right. And it was shift work, so I got to do a lot of night shifts and a lot of out-of-hours shifts, which is what I wanted at the time. So I wasn't particularly good at commuting, and I was, I was living in Stoke Newington and uh, working in central London on Fleet Street. So anyway, on this particular Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, it would have been about six, seven o'clock, something like that. Uh, I got a a phone call from a a guy with an Irish accent. So we've been trained in bomb threat procedures because it's a news agency and they get a lot of bomb threats. I've been working there about five years something like that but I'd, I'd never taken a bomb threat but I had a, a pro forma sheet so I had to tick boxes of uh, background noise accents uh, code words I don't think they, I don't think there was a box for a code word but they, they did give me a code word so it turned out it was an IRA bomb threat for a, a military band competition or concert or something in Brighton so my my instructions was to immediately well, phone the police and let the police know, phone the news desk and let the news desk know. In that order. Phone my manager and my manager know. So I ended up in a three way conversation. I, I told the news desk, gave them all the information that I'd I'd written down about the conversation and, and gave them as much information as I'd got. A news desk upstairs, well, it wasn't upstairs, it was next door. It was upstairs and along a little bit. We were on the third floor, they were on the fourth floor at, at, at Fleet Street at the office. So anyway, I ended up in a, a three-way conversation with the news desk, Brighton Police and me relaying this message direct to Brighton Police because the police in London hadn't passed on the message to Brighton Police and obviously it's a it's a concept that's happening in Brighton so it was Brighton Police that are, were responsible for it they didn't know anything about it so anyway I, I gave them all the information again I think I think it's at some point, they did a search of the beach, found something in a bin, and blew it up. So it was a controlled explosion of some suspicious package or another. But there was no actual bomb went off, apart from this controlled explosion. But well, the one of the things that, that happened on that particular night is that all the all the calls at Reuters were recorded so they were all on like a multi-track reel to reel big reel to reel tape recorder everything that went through the switchboard so the police arrived metropolitan police i'm guessing or special branch or somebody arrived to take the recordings away and some somebody somewhere confirmed for me that the that the keyword they'd given me the the code word was a real IRA code word. So it was a real call. It wasn't a fake call. It wasn't a it wasn't a anybody messing around. It was so I've got direct experience of IRA terrorists. which is a ridiculous thing to say. But but I have. I've spoken to IRA terrorists Uh, That was in the 90s, so it would be mid-1995, something like that, mid-90s. So, that's the kind of drama that happens in my life. It wasn't really something I was expecting to happen, it's not something I would have necessarily chosen to happen, but it is what it is, that was my job. I went home in a taxi. After that, my manager arrived. She took over, sent me home in a taxi. Because if you've just taken an IRA bomb threat, you're probably not the best person in the world to to, to have sitting in a on a switchboard. Apart from anything else, it could have been, it could have been, all hell could have broken loose if if it had gone off, if the bomb had gone off. So, anyway, that that's kind of my story. It ties in with the Elvis Costello story a little bit because I went to the Elvis Costello gig with the women that I worked with at Reuters. So, it's kind of a, a connection, but a vague connection. So, what I'm going to do now is play some kind of Uh, music documentary type thing I've got one in mind that may or may not be a good thing to play but I'm gonna play it anyway assuming I can find it again I didn't listen to it but it's about the right length and I'm trying to stay away from Pink Floyd documentaries so this is yes going for the one let's see if i can find it again because i saw it this afternoon right it'll take me a couple of seconds to set this up I'm not going to play the, the actual music. There's a lot of Yes albums on YouTube. Alright, let's have a look. Documentary, the story of Going For The One. That's what I'm going to play. So this should be fairly light after, after an IRA terrorism story. I'm going to have to skip some ads, inevitably. Take the first...
6: So just a few designs that I've been working on. Something iconic, something timeless. Uh, I'd love to know what you think.
3: It's very impressive, mate, but you really only need a new uniform.
5: You need Indeed. Upload your CV on Indeed and get seen by employers
2: who are looking for your unique set of skills.
3: I don't want it to be on the recording. There we go, this should be a documentary now.
6: The human body is actually not a thing, but a process.
5: Humans were healing and recovering from diseases long before doctors came along.
0: To me, the most important facet is to understand the dynamics, the physics, if you will, of the disease. I don't want to just shut the pain off. You're not correcting the imbalance. You're not trying to fix the
6: problem at its root.
3: All this time, my body was trying to talk to me. It was almost like
1: it spoke a language that I didn't understand. So know, this
6: ability to heal balls,
5: and regenerate is influenced by nutrition. And I was out by when I was 18, i actually for now, I'm in, in favor of your experiences chemistry that supports health then. or chemistry that supports protection. The way that we think,
4: the way that we all has such a powerful role in impacting our health.
5: And the importance of the emotions, the importance of the psyche. The importance of recognizing the spiritual nature, we could say consciousness nature of the person.
3: Healing is the return of the memory of wholeness. All right, see if we can skip the advert a little bit.
6: September 1976, and yes, are en route to Switzerland. Switzerland is home of Heidi, Toblerone chocolate, fondue parties, and the Helvetica font. Our band join a long list of jet-setting tax exiles, British musicians who have left their homeland to avoid an eye-watering 95% tax rate on their earnings. Yes are booked into the mountain studios to record their new album, but can't yet enter the studio because it's being used by fellow big spenders, Emerson Lake and Palmer, who are overrunning time recording their works album. This delay results in Yes spending more time slowly developing the new songs and further adding to the already huge cost of their Swiss project. Perhaps if ELP had finished on time then Miraz may well have ended up playing on the final Going For The One album. He was after all a well established member of the band at this point and claims to have contributed to the writing and arrangements of all of the songs and developments around this time. Although he was aware of the nigh sharpening, it wasn't until December when the Melody Maker announced Wakeman's return that Moraz was fully aware that his time was up. This famous newspaper edition, incidentally, was printed and released prior to Wakeman himself actually being formally asked to rejoin the band, and surprised him, also. throats and pragmatic business decisions were now part of the Yes DNA by this point, and being used for such luxurious living, it was easy to see how inviting Wakeman back into the band made a lot of business sense. Wakeman was a huge commercial draw at this point, and his recent solo albums had totally eclipsed yeses. Rick, however, had accrued huge debts in the making and touring of these albums, and also his own extravagant lifestyle.
0: Money,
6: Despite Switzerland being one of the world's most expensive countries, Yes threw money around like there was no tomorrow. They live like kings, hanging in luxury hotels and dining out every night. To further add to the astronomical costs, they flew out a team of studio engineers, a film crew, their friends, wives, and family. At one point the Howe family alone accommodated nine rooms of a luxury hotel overlooking Lake Geneva and to further drain their finances, the studio was built into a to see... Don't me. To don't me. Don't Whilst in Geneva, the band and crew used to hire cars from a local hire company and race them around the lake with the sole intention of wrecking the cars as quickly as possible. And not to be outdone by the likes of the Stones and Led Zeppelin, yes, had a huge Roger Dean logo stuck to the side of their private jet, this once resulted in near disaster when mid-flight the huge plastic logo peeled off and became stuck in the jet, resulting in an emergency landing. Perhaps the most extravagant of all though was Steve Howe buying a first-class Concorde plane ticket seat just for his guitar to sit on. Also, whilst in Switzerland Wakeman bought a cottage only to find that it was inaccessible for snow through most of the period there, so ended up buying a second property instead. With no end of racehorses and rolls royces football teams and country mansion houses both wakeman and the band's spending was as grandiose and excessive as their chord changes but why not let the good times roll their 1976 shows alone are thought to have earned the band tens of millions in today's money and it's not like there was a huge shift in musical fashion on the horizon or anything the cost of their six months in Switzerland must have been astronomical and Anderson was later to claim that no actual money was saved as a result of going out there to avoid the high taxation. So, was the final album worth it? Let's find out as we look inside the tricks the make going for the one. One, two, a uh,
0: one, two, three, four. Uh-huh.
2: Take the first step on your online business journey with GoDaddy's online starter bundle. Get a free domain and matching professional email address today. Show customers you mean business and take the next step on your business journey with GoDaddy.
3: By going to revolution.radio and you'll find a way to donate either monthly or with Bitcoin or with, with with some of the cryptos as well. Hey, it's Adam from Streamyard. We have an exciting new feature to announce, oh, which is now available only on the business plan. The green room is a waiting area for guests to prepare with hosts and producers, and producers before they enter the studio and go live. And join in the conversation this feature allows hosts the ability to call guests in the green room, where they can check that a guest's camera, microphone or shareable content is set up correctly and ready to go beforehand. Hosts can then move the guest Thanks from the green room to the studio. Helping everyone to feel 20. better prepared and comfortable before heading well, the that's, stream. That's what makes we the hope world. hope you enjoy world. this new way to manage your guests and run your show. Happy streaming. So everything is everything is reasonably acceptable. You've just got to make allowances for people having different opinions. That's all.
0: A one, two, three, four.
3: This new chapter
6: of Yes kicks off with a bold and confident rock number. Written by Anderson during the Relayer period, it's thought to be Alan White that was responsible for a lot of its rocking and rolling arrangements. The lyrics, which Anderson forces out with every breath in his body, are at first glance at least his usual patchwork quilt of loosely connected hippie ideas, with obscure references to racehorses, Olympic rings and whitewater rapids. He sings about competing sportsmen, all striving for greatness. This is, after all, the same John Anderson that once our trials for footballing titans, Akron's family. After seeing all
0: your sense of fear diminish. As you treat dangerous beautiful connection, as you throw away misconceptions, going for them back
6: The truth of this sport, however, is that Anderson is really playing rings around it does. And the warmness that he seeks is a more spiritual warmness, as his sporting metaphors are really centered around the ancient Chinese concept of wuei. This is the belief that our actions are at their strongest when they are without effort, and that the less we strive for, the more we can actually achieve. Why force the rudder through tons of crashing water when we can simply get the feel of the water's flow? Why really chase so hard? I'm not quite sure, however, if this Taoist less-is-more philosophy was employed by the band and the studio engineers whilst recording, as this dense track is often swamped by just too many instruments, and it gives the impression of a band simply showing off how many notes they can cram into one track purely for the sake of it. Midway through this opening song, Our Lancashire Lad, demonstrates self-mocking northern honesty, as he questions the apparent nonsense of his own spacey lyric which he must frantically get to the point of as the song gallops towards the final furlong.
0: Now the buttons outside go amber straight to the story in my head so i thinking I should go on by the
6: At one point the band added toy melodicas to it and despite the great enjoyment that they had playing them, they were either removed from or buried very deep in the mix, and we'll probably never know, as incredibly the master tapes for this album I believe have been lost. The end of the songs possibly seems to cycle round just one lap too many, and it's like all concerned are just jostling to win a race with Steve Howe's unrelenting slide guitar in pole position. However, it's the final key- keyboard run that pips him to the post as the song majestically falls over the finishing line. Gem of a song originally carved out by Alan White during the relay sessions, but in a much heavier style. Here it has some more delicate arrangement to it, and it tells the story of a sculptor called Run and the two loves of his life, his artwork and his lover. This woman, who could be the artist's model, annoys Rowan somewhat. Be still, he cries, as she dances around him, not letting him build her in clay. The song's mood becomes more melancholic as winter calls and the woman tragically falls ill and dies. All those many
0: years ago I am sure
6: Rowan then begins to create a memorial to his lost love, immortalizing her body in stone. And it's here that Wakeman's tender piano seemed to play the part of the sculptor's own fingers. As the artist works, the music develops a sense of form, discovery, and urgency, and then suddenly climaxes into a triumphant house solo. As either real or imagined, the stone comes to life as the woman is magically returned to Rowan. The story is a reverse reimagining of the Greek legend The Pygmalion, in which a similar sculptor falls in love with one of his own creations, who is then brought to life by the goddess Aphrodite. Full of wonderful autumnal imagery that reflect loss and yearning, and the way we all reflect on our past romances, this much overlooked track is an absolute work of art.
0: Matchmaker, match, make, a match
1: make, a, make me a match. At Auto Trader, you could win an electric car. True. Every month we're giving away. Just enter for free and be on your way. The Insurance freak. and a charger are thrown in yes. too. And we'll even deliver it yeah. all to Let's you. Cheer. Visit autotrader.co.uk forward slash giveaway yeah. yeah. to enter for free today. Autotrader, Britain's Big Ears
0: matchmaker. <laughs> TZC supply to verify email brand at autotrader.co.uk.
3: It's different every time.
6: Originally intended for his Fish Out of Water album, writer Chris Squire suggests that he is somewhat tired and weary of the excessive drug induced rock and roll lifestyle and that he should find a different parallel one instead. The
0: beginning of- Stop
6: a child, make it laugh the the fire that he's been playing with isn't getting him honey more, and perhaps a more spiritual path will open up new horizons for him, like the Hindu ever-opening flower. This song was written at a crossroads in Squire's life when he was probably reflecting on the lavish millionaire lifestyle and family that he has recently acquired. Perhaps he felt a need to balance out his excessive partying with more restraint, focus and stability. when one considers the circles that the band mixed in, um, the evidence suggests that Yes's own drug use was probably quite well balanced around this time. And um, pot and alcohol especially were consumed in abundance. But the interviews around the time suggest that harder drugs were less frequent. It is thought, however, that Squire's cocaine use drove a wedge between him and Anderson prior to the band breaking up in the late 70s. In interviews, Chris has frequently referenced a bad acid trip that he once had in the mid-1960s. It left him hospitalized for days and housebound for weeks. However, it was during this period of recovery that he learned to play bass, another parallel path that we are all thankful that he took. The organ sound that dominates this track is the same that is used on the Awaken track, and it was played at St. Martin's Church in the Swiss town of Vevey, a few miles away from the band's recording studio. Rather than sending recording equipment into the church, Rick's organ playing was transmitted back to the studio via a telephone line. Switzerland where the air is
5: incredibly pure comes an old Swiss recipe for a natural new breakfast cereal called Alpen. Alpen is a mixture of roasted hazelnut. Oh, Swiss miss. instant
0: cocoa. What's the best way to start your day?
5: Give a little. Swiss has lots of rich chocolatey. Hi, Mary. She loves mood jeans and Italian Swiss talent. Oh.
6: This is the only track on the album not to have been written two or three years earlier. Anderson's wondrous stories was inspired by a morning walk around the beautiful lake, Geneva, in Switzerland, and he claims that by the time he'd walked around the lake back to the studio, the song was fully written in his head. One interpretation of the lyric is that it's about a traveller bound to meet his forgiver, possibly Jesus, who, in no time at all, takes Star Traveler to the gates of heaven. On checking the time however, he's not yet sure if his time's up and decides leave, but he agrees that one day he would indeed return to heaven to hear more of the preacher's wisdom. Anderson's cosmic mind at this time was like a sponge and it would soak up whatever pieces of eastern philosophy would happen to drift through his transom and this song is one of the better examples of how he could subtly weave relatively profound and religious concepts into his music. Anderson often talks in interviews about how he can join connections with everyday beauty and divine spirituality, all without the aid of a dictionary it seems, as the title of the song is actually misspelled playing is pure perfection here, and Howe's Portuguese guitar strumming recalls the Yes album track, Your Move, and it provides a lovely sway. Squire's bass guitar glides in and out effortlessly, 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 effortlessly I can't say it, Effle, effort, effort, effortlessly. effortlessly, I know, I know what I'll say. Squire's bass guitar glides in and out with ease, weaving the track together, whilst Wakeman's polymook wrinkles a lush, fairy dust sheen over everything. It's Anderson's voice, however, that really defines this track and it contains a spine-tingling magic that never fails to move me no matter how many times I hear it. If it's reaching out towards the sun on our own being, in many ways, Awaken feels like a long-lost side to topographic oceans. Life as an Arabian flavoured howl riff, once said to be the track's opener, and was developed on the relay tour with Moraz as a track called High Vibration and then Eastern Number. Moraz has frequently referenced his big involvement with this track's design, a claim that is supported by Howe himself. However, to my ears, it's Wakeman who defines this track the most. Now, I'm not saying Maraz would have been any better or any worse playing on it, it's Wakeman that somehow just seems to embody this for me. The opening flurry of his piano during the opening exposition hints at the flavours to come, the first being Howe's descending guitar lines, which he develops into an intricate hopping and skipping around the fretboard in a similar manner to his Close to the Edge intro. Anderson's awake and gentle mass touch mantra similarly alludes to Close to the Edge's total mass retain. Mass probably means here, like our weight. Our soul, which she is calling us to awaken and open up and accept new things. So- The lyrics were written by a book called The Singer by Calvin Miller. This was a Christian allegory with Jesus portrayed as a storytelling troubadour that travelled around a mythical world singing his songs of love. Squire's ominous bass around with a sense of intrigue and suspicion whilst the whole band had great fun playing the multi-layered percussion parts. Finally, Wakeman's organ ushers in the climbing workings of man section, which seems to reorientate the track along the path of enlightenment. And the whole song seems to gather pace as we finally arrive at Heaven's Gate. The song that enters an atmospheric midsection, as if we were entering a state of meditation. Unlike like with meditation, I often find my own mind wandering slightly and losing an interest during this quiet lull. At the heart of the whole awakened track is the notion of climbing. This is especially felt towards the latter part of the song, which does seem to reach onwards and upwards towards the gods that we are all now a part of. That's I somehow can't do this justice with words, and it's simply the combination of John's voice. the and now a choir lifting it onto Eleven is simply sublime. While some fans feel that the track doesn't quite match the heights of previous epics, both Howe and Anderson especially have often cited Awaken as the song that they are the most proud of. Personally, I have no complaints with this assessment, and there's an argument to be made that the song really does encapsulate everything about this band in one track and perhaps finally puts them on a musical level with the classical artists that they were originally inspired by. Whilst the album was being recorded, artist Roger Dean was invited out to Switzerland to hear the new music and create a cover based on it. His proposed painting, The Flight of Icarus, was rejected by Anderson, who wanted something stronger and bolder and different to previous Yes covers. Dean claims that Anderson wanted some of his own artwork incorporated into it, and based on such restrictions, Dean declined the offer and Anderson turned to Hypnosis instead. Futuristic buildings are that of the Plaza Towers found in the Century City District of Los Angeles. We were originally photographed while Hypnosis' Aubrey Powell was on tour with wings earlier that year. Intersecting geometric lines were popular with Hypnosis around this time. Here, at Anderson's behest, they represent the ancient Hindu concept of Kundalini, the points on the body from which all our energy flows to and from. Here, our organic man is also supposed to echo the idea of Da Vinci's Vitruvian Man as he gazes out at his own technological future and new horizons. Hypnosis were no strangers to nudity on their covers around this time, and the man here is probably a leftover from Dean's original Flight of Icarus idea. Atlantic Records and the rest of the band were unsure about the use of the man on the cover, with Howe especially being quite skeptical over it and he stated at the time that Dean would indeed then at some point to do future Yes covers. In making this documentary, I really tried to track down who this guy on the cover actually was, and I spoke to numerous people who worked with Hypnosis around this time, including the great Aubrey Powell, but no one could really recall who he was, and he certainly isn't John Anderson, as some fans believed at the time. Most people just seem to think he was simply one of the many hired models that were frequently used in the hypnosis photo studios. Our mystery man may have been going through the one one day, but he was probably just the man at c the next. In July 1977, the album was finally released. Reviews at the time were largely very positive, with people welcoming the breath of fresh air and the return to simpler and more accessible Yes songs. The album reached number one in the UK charts and number eight in the US and whilst outselling both Topic and Real it was surprisingly outsold itself by Tomato the following year. The band took the album out on tour that summer starting in Ohio and then moving across the US over the late summer. They arrived in London in October and then proceeded to move across a host of European countries until the end of the year. The live show saw the whole new album being played, along with fan favourites from the ES album, Fragile and Close to the Edge. Topographic's Ritual was played a few times, but nothing from the recent Relayer. The band would occasionally drop in short acoustic jams and an elongated ethereal opening into Awaken. A highlight of the show John's beautiful land. This was a short acapella number that was taken from a musical called The Roar, of The Grease Painter, during which the stage lighting changed colour as John chanted the different colours of the rainbow.
0: Orange the any orange on or a tree? Yellow is the colour of a and drops. Green is the the sea. And blue, the colour of the sky in summertime. Indigo is the Siamese eyes. Violet's the colour of the pretty blue. These are the colours
6: of the rain To do justice to awaken on stage, Squire was armed with his now trademark while triple neck bass. This bass was actually made for Roger Newell, who was in Wakeman's English rock on And it was Will, F- who originally conceived its design. Whilst drunk, Newell claims that Rick rejected the double bass idea. that just as Mike Rudder. In later years, Squire had a later copy of this guitar made, and the original is now... Across various hard rock cafe venues. And herein lies its main criticism, as the production seems to be closer somewhat, as if there are just too many cooks spoiling the fondue. There's also a reverb that drenches a lot of the detail in it. Whilst it would not my favourite Yes album, there's nothing fun it for a vice Faisal turn Return, and the beautiful Swiss backdrop. It's more bold in the band, and you can really sense their happiness. There's a feeling of fun and contentment on this record, many of the album's preceding recent solo albums had to recharge them. Some argue that this album isn't as bold and adventurous as previous ones, but then having the confidence to include more accessible and simpler songs self-courage what is topographic sometimes she is muddled and overreaching and relay it's a and angry going through the one shines in a bright color rainbow may well be the best all-round representation of what this band are really all about
3: all right so that was the uh story of going for the one which i'll i'll post in in the chat room um which i forgot to do but i'll do that now all right we've got about 10 minutes so I'm just going to ramble a little bit, I've never seen Yes, never seen Yes live, never seen any of the the people in Yes live, but I did have a copy of Tomato, which is one of the albums from the 70s, I had uh, Tales from Topographic Oceans, I had quite a few different Yes albums, And I've got a bit of a love-hate relationship with church organs, so I'm, sometimes I'll I like them, sometimes I hate them. But they're never dull. It's one thing, yes, and, and not it's it's dull. They're highly technical, highly complex albums, and I'm uh, I'm looking at them with with fifty-eight-year-old eyes and fifty-eight-year-old ears, now rather than rather than eighteen-year-old eyes and ears, so it's a different a different feeling, a different sense, and they're always worth going back to. I think. All right, I'm I'm not got any gigs lined up so far. For this year. There's a possibility of a. a Genesis tribute act. That I might go and see. haven't made my mind up about that one yet. It's 30 quid a ticket though. So it's a lot of money for a tribute act. So this show will go up on the. On the podcast. I'm hoping that there wasn't so much. Music in that documentary. That it flags me as a copyright infringement or whatever but I think we should be alright because there was a lot of talking over the top of it as well so I'll post that on, on Podbean and it'll go up on Spotify so you can find the podcast version of what I do on all of those podcast places if you look for free association radio show podcast and roundtable any combination of those things should get you there, and uh, sometimes it's me rambling for five minutes at midnight usually I call that midnight ramblings sometimes it's an hour long radio show sometimes it's a two hour long radio show sometimes it's just it's clips of news items that I'm Borrowing from GB News and Sky and various places. Sometimes I do a bit of commentary. Sometimes I just play the clips. I'm fairly relaxed about it. It just, it just is what it is, ultimately. But the podcast version is approaching 50,000 downloads. So I need a little bit of help to get to 50,000. So if you can... Sign up and listen to do a few subscribe. Listen to a few episodes. It just helps to get it noticed in, in Spotify, and Google Pod, Google Podcasts, and uh, Apple Podcasts, and all those types of places. And I haven't so far been doing any live streaming, but I think I'm going to get back to back into live streaming. I do, do 10 or 15 minutes every couple of days. I just sit with a cup of coffee and talk, honestly, to a camera. Let's see how that works. I have access to a little bit of money at the moment as well, so I might up, upgrade my camera setup. Depends how I feel. And if I can find the right combination of stuff, then I'll upgrade. If I if I can't, then I'm just going to stick with these. It's only a web, webcam that I've got at the minute. And I really need a better quality camera than that, if I'm going to do it properly. So I think I'm just going to leave it there. There's only seven minutes to go So we'll, we'll call that a night for the, the Wednesday show. I'll be back on Saturday. I'm going to be relaxed about Saturday as a show as well. We'll just see how we feel. It might be music again. Or some kind of popular culture. I'm going to try and stay away from Armageddon as much as possible in January. I'm going to take a break so it'll be the, not the Armageddon show. Not the zombie apocalypse. And then we'll get back into genocide and zombie apocalypse in February. So we did all right in the end. The the text held out reasonably well, I think. I don't know what the recording is going to be like, but uh, it'll be better than the first hour. Anyway, that's it for now. I shall see you on Saturday. I might even take my laptop down to the the railway station and do a show from the railway station. Because I was getting requests for more shows from the railway station. And the only time so Saturday afternoon it will have to be. So we'll see how I I feel on Saturday. If it's very cold, then I'll not do it. But uh, Because there's only heated seats and heat lamps to keep me going. For a couple of hours, but we'll see how it goes, and I shall see you on Saturday and next Wednesday for the next little while after.
2: Law. Do you enjoy interviews with amazing guests? Then join Crypt Rick every Monday night, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Revolution Radio, Studio A, FreedomSlips.com. Crypt Rick's iPhone thank you.
0: Welcome to the Crypt. <laughs> It is no
6: secret that the so-called mainstream media is best described as controlled propaganda. Countless news stories are either totally ignored or spun with half-truths. And because of this, essential facts and vital information are often compromised. Join Dr. Ott every Friday night on Studio B at 10 p.m. Eastern. And learn why the story behind the story was nominated for a Peabody Award in its second year of producing Unparalleled Broadcasting Excellence in 1997. That is, if you really care about learning the truth. Interrupt your normally scheduled programming to bring you
2: this important broadcasting announcement. Now is the time to explore your greatest potential,
0: embracing truth, health, and wellness while discarding the system and exposing its corruption. Experience true freedom,